This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. Most of these interviews were originally conducted for KPFA's Book Waves program and its predecessor, Probabilities. R.L. Stein, who recently turned 80 years old, is often called the Stephen King of young adult and children's horror. With nearly 500 books under his belt, alongside several film and TV adaptations, he is best known for two series and their derivatives, Fear Street and Goosebumps. At the present time, a new Goosebumps series recently completed its run on Disney Plus and Hulu, and the film Zombie Town debuted in theaters in September 2023 and is now available on Hulu. On September 22, 1995, Richard A. Lupoff and I had the chance to interview R.L. Stein in the KPFA studios about his first adult novel, Superstitious. At the time, both the first series of Fear Street and Goosebumps were still being written, and a 1990s Goosebumps TV series was yet to make its debut. He doesn't go into it in the interview, but along with his books written as R.L. Stein, he also wrote dozens of humor books for kids under the name Jovial Bob Stein. What he does talk about here, though, is his writing process, his thoughts about the work he does, and how it appears as various children and young adult books have created lifelong readers and improved test scores in elementary and high schools across the country. This interview was digitized, remastered, and re-edited in November 2023 and has not been heard in nearly 30 years. What prompted you to write an adult horror novel? Well, Richard, I have to tell you, in all honesty, I had no intention of writing an adult novel. I'm so thrilled by everything that's been happening to me with Goosebumps and Fear Street. I'm a very happy person. I was sitting home innocently, working on a Goosebumps. The phone rang. It was Brandon Tartikoff. And he said, he introduced himself and said, I would like you to write an adult horror novel. And I said, Brandon, go away. No thanks. And I think he was shocked because I don't think too many writers say, tell Brandon Tartikoff to go away. He said, you don't understand. I'm starting a new imprint at Warner Books, and I'm going to be doing three or four projects a year that are going to be book and movie projects. So you write any book you want, and I'll produce the movie. And I, <laughs> I said, well, maybe I can come in for a meeting. I sort of, <laughs> I sort of changed my mind. It was a, a very irresistible offer, and it was a, a, a wonderful chance to work with Brandon. It turned out to be really terrific. Your books generally start with a title, the, the uh, Goosebump series and Fear Street series. Did this start with a title? It did. That's, kids always ask me, they say, where do you get your ideas? And I always tell them, that's question number one. Where do you get your ideas? And for me, they almost always start with a title. I get the title first and then try to think of a book to go with it. Uh, this book, I was trying to think of something for Brandon. And I had no ideas. We were driving my son up to camp summer before last. And he was in the back seat of the car, had his Walkman on. And he leaned forward and he said, Dad, you ever hear this Stevie Wonder song, Superstition? And it just struck me. I said, Matt, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Take the rest of the summer off. 
and I had my title. I would like to, to back up. I want to talk about Superstitious. It's Superstitious yeah, is, is the yeah, book. Superstition was the song. Um, but the way you started writing, according some, to some material that your publishers sent us, is that you just stumbled across an ancient abandoned typewriter as a child and just started to write. Is that accurate? It's, it's a true story. When I, I have no idea why I found it so interesting. I was nine years old. I was in fourth grade. I found this old typewriter upstairs, I dragged it into my room, and I started typing little joke magazines and funny magazines and stories. And I think I knew when I was nine, I loved it. I, mean, I think I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I, I couldn't tell you why. Why? Well, okay, there you are, nine years old, doing these, I assume, just to be read by your family and your school buddies. Uh, how do we make the leap from that to the world's most successful author? <laughs> well, it was more a crawl than a leap, I think. I wrote all through school. I wrote on the school paper. I went to Ohio State. I was editor of the Humor magazine at Ohio State for three years. I think that's about all I did in college. And all the time, I planned. You know, I grew up in Ohio, and when you're in Ohio, you think, I've got to get to New York to be a writer. I've got to get to New York. And then I actually did it. I moved to New York to become a writer. I started getting writing jobs at magazines. My first jobs were with fan magazines, movie magazines. I would make up interviews. Uh, make up <laughs> interviews? I would make up interviews. That was the whole job. This woman was editor of six movie magazines. She worked out of a little brownstone. And I would come in in the morning. There were three of us. And she would say, Bob, do an interview with the Beatles. And I would sit down and write an interview with the Beatles. And then she would say, she would give me, you know, titles. And she would say, do a story, those rumors about Tom Jones, they're not true. And I would sit and type the story, <laughs> the rumors, type. Did she give you any kind of background material? Every once in a while there was a little news clipping. But you, mostly you had to be very creative. This was great training because I learned to write really fast and I learned to make up everything. It was very imaginative, creative type work. Well, what if you were given an assignment about someone who you knew nothing about? Nothing. Then you'd prob I'd probably have to look at other movie magazines or find some kind of clippings or something. My greatest, I think my greatest achievement was a letter from Jane Fonda to her fans. I think that was one of my best pieces. What year this was, was it? This was 60... 67, 68. She was political then. Yes, right, right. This was, a, I think she was apologizing. <laughs> I think she was apologizing. Did, didn't you ever get sued? No, I, these people, I think, we never said anything too terrible. And these people live to be in magazines. They want to be written about. They love it. They don't really care. This was a very short career. Now, I only did this for a few months. But um, what, what, what about compiling a little book of these imaginary interests? I think it would be great. <laughs> I don't have them anymore. Probably would be, I, you know, just looking at those magazines now would probably be very funny from the 60s. So from, from there, how did you get hired by, uh, I guess, Scholastic? Well, I answered an ad in the Times. I got tired of <laughs> writing all this fake stuff. And I, uh, I worked for a trade magazine for a year. 
a soft drink. It was a soft drink magazine. I wrote about bottle caps and new syrups. It was one of the great years. And then I answered an ad in the Times, and I became an assistant editor of Junior Scholastic Magazine. Do you remember that magazine? Sure. It's, it hasn't changed a bit. It's exactly the same. And I started doing ma educational magazines and learning more about kids. And eventually I got a humor magazine of my own called Bananas, which was like my life's dream to have my own. I was 28 years old. I achieved my life's dream. I had my own national humor magazine. And someone called me and said, I bet I love your magazine. I bet you could write great books for kids. And that's how I got started. Why horror? Why horror? Again, someone asked me to. Now, I always loved horror, but I always wrote funny. I always wrote humor for kids. And I wrote some adventure stuff, but mostly humor. But no one ever wanted it, really. I wrote it, but it never really did anything. And I was having lunch with an editor, and she said, I'd like you to write a horror novel. Do you think you could? And I said, I was just starting out as a freelancer, and you never said no to anybody. You said yes to everything. And, and I said, yes, of course, I'd love to, love to. I didn't know what she was talking about, but she said, go home, write a book called Blind Date, and then bring it in. <laughs> and I went out, there were already a couple of people writing horror for teenagers. A guy, um, Christopher Pike, and a woman named, oh, now her name escapes my, I'll think of it, a very good writer. Wish I could remember. A couple, so I bought their books, and I read them to see what this genre was like. It wasn't really a genre yet. And I didn't, I liked something of what I read. I didn't like some of it. I um, tried to figure out what I could do differently writing them so that I wouldn't be copying them and I could get my own audience. And I decided to go for a, a younger audience than them. Lois Duncan, that's her name. She's a really wonderful writer. And I wrote Blind Date. And it came out in 86 or something, 87. And it was an immediate bestseller. And I said, well, I've struck a chord here. There's something kids really like about this. And then a year later, they asked me to do another one. And I wrote Twisted, a second one. And then a year later, they asked, and I thought, wait a minute, maybe we could do more than one a year, because the, the kids loved them right from the start. What kind of money were you getting for these? What kind of advances? $5,000 a book. That was the advance. How, I, oh, I thought that was great. I thought that was fabulous. Well, they're, they're, these books were somewhat shorter than adult novels, right? The young adult ones were about, uh, the manuscripts are 150 pages. So they are shorter than adult, certainly shorter than superstitious. So you suddenly decided to uh, churn out more of them. Uh, in 89, you had two series begin, Goosebumps and Fear Street. Well, Fear Street started in 89, and then we didn't really start Goosebumps till 92. I was doing the teenage stuff. And, uh, yeah, we started Goosebumps in 92. And they just took off. I, I have to tell you, I mean, no one is more amazed than I am. I've just, you know, it came as a big surprise. I had always loved horror. I'd always, when I was a kid, my brother and I used to go see, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And when I was a kid, I loved the um, EC horror comics vault of horror and tales from the crypt. I just loved those when I was my reader's age. So I'd always liked it. 
And I think I draw from all those things back then now when I write these books. Well, you couldn't have written those books then because the level of grossness was just so much lower than it is now. Well, I, listen, those EC horror comics are really gross. I remember one where this butcher ran out of meat, so he took one of his customers and shoved him through the meat grinder so he'd have hamburger. I mean, I would never do anything like that. <laughs> when you deal with these horror themes, and particularly ones which have a supernatural element in them, I wonder, in view of the present political climate in this country, um, the fabled Christian right, do you get any flack from these people? I haven't. I, I'm not quite sure why, but I haven't. I mean, I'm, they, partly because I'm very careful in the books. I mean, there are a lot of things I won't do, not because of them, but just because I don't think it would be good for kids. I don't really, I don't do demons. I don't really do witchcraft in these books. I stay away from... You know, I, I make them nice, scary fantasies for kids. Well, what are your favorite themes, then? I love ghost stories. I, I try to make do a lot of goosebumps that are like sitting around the campfire, listening to a ghost story. I just finished one called Ghost Camp that's going to come out, and I think number 46, coming out <laughs> next summer, next summer. And it's a, about these kids go to a camp, and they're all telling ghost stories, but the kids are all ghosts. And I like all of the ones with ghosts. There are a couple Fear Streets, uh, one called Haunted, where uh, this ghost appears in a girl's bedroom. And she looks up and says, who are you? What are you doing here? He says, don't you remember me? You killed me. She's never seen him before. She doesn't know what's going on. I like those kind of ghost stories. What happened? Keep going. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> it turns out, you want to know what happened? It turns out that he isn't a ghost from the past. He's a ghost from the future, and she hasn't killed him yet. And in the end of the book, she kills him. Oh, that's upbeat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a happy ending. What kind of reaction do you get from school teachers? They've been unbelievably supportive. School teachers and librarians, they've been amazing. They've been so nice to me. And they come to book signings and things, and they, and they write to me. I get so much mail from teachers, and they say, thank you for getting the kids to read. I had a class that wouldn't read. They love your books. Now they're reading book after book. I was at a book signing um, last night, and a teacher came over, and she said, you know, the reading scores in our school have gone up tremendously in the past two years, and we think it's because of goosebumps. That's very gratifying to me. You write two of these books a month, the children's books? I write a Goosebumps every month and a Fear Street every month. I'm very lucky. I'm a very fast writer, and it pretty much comes out the way I want it the first time. I always do two drafts, but it pretty much comes out okay the first time. That's just luck. I don't think that's talent. I write 20 pages a day, and I work about six days a week. So I write a Goosebumps in about 10 days, and I can write a Fear Street, mainly because I outline them first, and I have it all planned. And I write a Fear Street, it takes about two weeks. When you're writing one, you're planning the next? Yes. I always work on one at a time. I plan one, I send the outline into my editors, then I write one. Then the outline comes back, I write that one, I outline. It never ends, but... Uh, it's, you have to be crazy to have this kind of, if you saw my schedule really you would cry because I'm like scheduled through 96 every day of my life 
but it's uh, <laughs> but it, it it's you know the response has been so wonderful it really keeps me going and you don't have any kind of writer's block I never have. I knock wood here. I'm not superstitious, but <laughs> knock wood. I, I've never, you know, I have days when it feels as if I'm riding uphill, and I know it's pretty bad, or I don't know what language it's in, but I, I keep going. I just keep going. I know I can go back and fix it. I wanted to ask, because you write these stories at different levels, goosebumps are for uh, 8 to 11, and... Fear Street are for young teenagers, 9 to 13. 13. How do you make a book work for a reader of a particular level? Is there a, a, a trick or a, um, a recipe that you follow to make, you know, 9-year-olds will like this, 12-year-olds will like this? There's no real recipe. There's no trick. I mean, I work very hard at knowing kids. And partly all my years in educational publishing and dealing with different reading levels and different you know skills um, with kids that's helped me a lot all the educational stuff that I wrote and so that I know a good range of ages and I just work very hard at it you get a little head start because everyone in the Fear Street books are 16 and 17 all the characters and everyone in the Goosebumps books they're all 12 and so automatically there's some things that these teenagers can do that 12-year-olds can't, and it sort of immediately gets you in line for writing at the right level. But a lot of it comes from hard work and from talking to kids. I spy on my son and his friends. I follow them around. I talk to them. I go to his school, and I, you know, I, I try really hard so that I can write real kids. R.L. Stein, your new novel is called Superstitious. And uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the difference between working on an adult book and a children's book. Now, obviously, in Superstitious, there are a number of sex scenes. So, so you can take those, and they would not exist in a children's book. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think we have a little kissing in Fear Street, but that's about it. Okay. The other thing is... Uh, I don't recall if there's any cursing, but there might be a little of that, and there would be no cursing in a children's book. There's no cursing in the kids' books at all. I'm very careful about the language. But this, I wanted to sound real. It had to sound like adults. It was a challenge for me. <laughs> I'm not used to sounding like an adult. How about other things that, that make up the difference between an adult and a child children's novel? The main difference is, when I'm writing the children's books, I'm always thinking... Is this too real? Is this too real? Because I don't want those books to be real at all. I want them to be fantasies because I think the real world is a very scary place for kids these days. It's much scarier than my books. And I, I don't put a lot of real stuff in those books to ruin the entertainment. Suddenly, I had to turn it around. I'm writing for adults. I have to think, is this real enough? Am I making it real enough? It was different. Am I going far enough? And I, I wanted to write a book that was really scary for adults, that was really even sickening in some ways. And so it was like totally shifting gears. Uh, have you read any recent Stephen King or Clive Barker? Uh, yeah, I don't read Clive Barker, but I, I'm a big fan of Stephen King's. And uh, some of them, I, I haven't read, the last one I read was um, Gerald's Game, I think, which I thought was just a brilliant book, 
brilliant book. Here he had this woman strapped to the bed all by herself, no one else, no one else in the book for hundreds of pages, and he kept you reading. It was an amazing accomplishment. All of your chapters in Superstitious end on cliffhangers, and I gather from, I haven't read, sorry, Goosebumps or Fear Street, I gather the same thing exists in those books? I think that's one of the things that kids like about it, and it gives me a chance to bring some humor to the books, too. Every book ends with some kind of exclamation mark, some kind of shock, some kind of surprise, and that's what keeps the kids reading. They can't stop. Something horrible has just happened. They can't stop at the end of the chapter. They have to go on to the next one. And I decided when I, to, when I started Superstitious, even writing for adults, that adults would like that, too. They, that they would like some kind of shock at the end of the chapter that would make them want to go on to the next. And so I used the same technique. Superstitious takes place in a small college town in western Pennsylvania. Is this based on your hometown in Ohio? Every, whenever I remember, uh, most of these books take place in a very suburban, small-town atmosphere area. And I always think back, now I live in New York City, so I can't use that too much. So I think back to Ohio. I remember the way my community looked and the, the way the houses were and the way it was set up. And so, it, yes, it does. I, I wonder now, your, your comment on the notion that this is the sort of Norman Rockwell Saturday Evening Post cover self-vision of America, which may or may not ever have been true, but at least that's our national mythos. And if the sense of comfort that we derive from reading about this world, even though it's invaded by horrific events, uh, is part of the appeal to readers. I hope so. I mean, it's deliberate. I always think... If you set a scary novel in some dark castle somewhere, who can identify with that? And I don't think that is as scary. But if you set it in a community that people know and they can picture it or they're in it, and these horrible things are happening right in this nice community that's supposed to be safe and secure, I just think it's a lot more frightening. And it's one reason I chose superstitions as a topic for a horror novel, because this is such an everyday thing. We're all superstitious in some ways. We all say, bless you, when somebody sneezes. We all cross our fingers or walk around ladders. It's such an ordinary thing. And then to be able to find the horror in this common thing, I thought, would be much scarier than trying to find something somewhere distant. Are there any superstitions in Superstitious that are not real? No, they're all there. I did a lot of research and a lot of research into Irish folk tales and Irish superstitions and all the superstitions in the book. Some of the strange ones, too, that I didn't really understand, like uh, don't ever buy eggs after dark. I don't know what that's about, really. <laughs> but that's that's real. That's a real Irish superstition. There's also a character who has a at the beginning of the book her career uh, is in uh, at a publishing house where she writes rejection letters is that a real career it is a job and this is what an editorial assistant in a publishing house does and they you know there's the slush pile and these hundreds of manuscripts come in unsolicited and there are people, I mean, editorial assistants in these lower-rung jobs who read them and write back to these people. 
because I, I enjoyed that part, and I kept thinking, yeah. uh, I, you know, I'm not that big a horror fan. I would have enjoyed reading a book, a, a humorous book, about someone who does that. <laughs> Maybe someday I might get around. I spent enough time in publishing houses, so I could, pro I could either do a funny one or a horror novel. You started out writing humor. You obviously enjoy writing humor. Um, obviously, readers enjoy the humor in your books. Why not write humorous novels? Now, there's no time now. Now I have to be scary all the time because with my schedule of doing so many goosebumps and so many, you know, and also I'm having such a good time with this. I really don't, I don't want to try anything else yet. Maybe someday. You write the Goosebumps and Fear Street novels at, at such an amazing pace of production. How much time and effort went into Superstitious? Many months many months. I wanted it to be really good. I wanted it to be very scary. And I wanted it to be, you know, I, I wanted to do, take time and do research on the superstitions. And I just, I divided my day is what I did. I spent mornings on superstitious. And then I would write the kids stuff in the afternoon. And I spent, I spent uh, a couple months researching and I spent three months outlining it. I did four complete outlines, about 50 page outlines of the book before I started to write. And then I spent, I had it all figured out, and I spent four months writing it. Do you write character sketches and biographies? I don't do biographies, but I do pretty long character sketches. I, I do a little bit of what their family background is, and a lot on what they look like, and, you know, and then four or five or six I try to do, an editor once said, this was a wonderful line, she said, you, you write full-blown cardboard characters. <laughs> it's really one of the best lines I ever... Well, now, we're not going to ask our listeners to wait for the movie. Go out, read the books. If you're a little listener, read Goosebumps or Fear Street. If you're a big listener, pick up Superstitious. But what about the movie and, and also the TV deal that are coming up? Well, the movie, you never know about a movie. Uh, Brandon Tartikoff did sell Superstitious to Miramax Films, and they're talking about filming it in 96. So we'll see. We don't have a director yet or anything, and that would be very exciting for me to see Superstitious. The Goosebumps TV show starts on Fox sometime around Halloween. We're doing The Haunted Man. It's not a cartoon. It's real actors and real monsters and... Uh, the stuff I've seen from it is actually a little scarier than the books because you can see the monsters. It's really, I thought it was very scary. It's going to be on Fox every Friday afternoon. Do you ever feel like you want to stretch the bounds when writing a children's book, or do you always stay within a certain confined space? Well, that's an interesting question. No, I, the only bounds I try to stretch, I just try to find new ways of doing it. That's the challenge. Find new ways of scaring them, new kinds of scares, new kinds of chapter endings that are going to startle them and surprises. I, I work at that a lot. I'm not really interested in, I, I'm, I like the confines of the children's books. I'm very comfortable with that. And in fact, it was it was kind of hard for me not to have them for superstitious. It wasn't easy. It wasn't liberating at all. What about nightmares? Do you ever get any complaints from kids having had nightmares from your books? I haven't heard that. One woman wrote to me, this was the best letter I got, and she said, I love your books for my kids because they give them shivers but not nightmares. 
And I thought that that was wonderful. That's what I try for. 97, you're done with your current contracts. Do you take it easy? What are you going to do? I don't know. You know, I always think I love doing this so much. I mean, I'm going to keep on doing it. I love it. I think the kids will retire me. I think the kids will decide they've had enough. They'll go on to somebody else, and then I'll take it easy. You've been listening to an interview recorded September 22, 1995, with R.L. Stein, author of the Fear Street and Goosebumps series of children's and young adult novels. It was recorded in the KPFA studios while he was on tour for his adult novel, Superstitious, which was the first of four adult novels he would write over the next nearly 30 years. A new series titled Goosebumps is now available on Disney Plus and Hulu, and the most recent movie based on his work, Zombie Town, is now also available on Hulu. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com and feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.